This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer with Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. And hi, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Well, today we are so incredibly honored to have Jonathan Brill. He has a new book out called Rogue Waves, Future Proof Your Business to Service and Profit from Radical Change. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. And would you tell us a little bit briefly about uh, about your background? For sure. Uh, I spent 25 years, better part of 25 years, running product innovation firms. We helped bring about 350 products to market in the real estate space, uh, in the consumer electronics space, and in the technology space, uh, and, um, and in the food space. Uh, and about five years ago, HP hired me as their global futurist, and my job there was to help them figure out across the 58,000-person global organization that services, I think, all but five countries in the world, uh, where should they be making better investments in the future in terms of their their teams, in terms of their uh, skills, in terms of uh, location strategy, in terms of uh, their technologies uh, and, and, and future customers, how, how, do, how would they address them? Uh, and what does that mean for our products? Uh, the result of that was some new investments in the organization in terms of uh, products and as well as uh, a, a lot of work re-architecting the firm. We laid off about 16% of the workforce uh, to free up capital to, to reinvest. Well, Jonathan, once again, thank you very much for being here. And <clears throat> When you sent us a little little bit of information about yourself, you uh, you sent a little excerpt or description about your book called Rogue Waves. Yeah. And while I haven't read the book, it, it sounds just really, really fascinating. And, you know, I, I didn't even know what a rogue wave was until I read uh, The Perfect Storm by Sebastian Junger, you know, several years ago. And then and then the, the film came out. And, you know, the, the whole concept behind a rogue wave is. You know, a lot of smaller waves come together and create this big, huge wave. And, and you, you use that analogy for things that have happened, you know, in the 70s. You talk about, you know, the Vietnam War. You talk about the end of the gold standard. You talk about several things that, that came together to really have an effect on, on businesses and industry. Elaborate on that a little bit, yeah. if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So, so. When we think about risk, when we think about change, first of all, I think we we look at it wrong. We we look at risk as threat instead of uh, what it is, which is a measure of volatility over time, right? And the more volatility there is, also the more opportunity there is. If you're agile enough, if you're able to position yourself, if you're able to ride the wave uh, or or uh, right your ship faster than your competition. Uh, when we talk about rogue waves, uh, the, the mathematics actually in markets and in the deep ocean are relatively similar. These individually manageable things, uh, waves of change, disruption, collide in the same place and time and become unmanageable. And certainly within medicine, you see this in your patients, right? These, these patients come in, you think they're stable, and then one thing happens, and then you get a cascade, and suddenly three hours later, you're in a, a you know, you're in a life or death situation. That happens in everything we do, 
And the question becomes, okay, well, if we accept that, if we accept the reality that we're more likely to be disrupted than to be the disruptor, uh, it changes the way we think about strategy. It changes the way we think about opportunity, right? Like, and, and this sure, is sure. what you preach in medicine all, all the time, right? Uh, eat well, make sure you do resistive exercise, make sure you do your cardio, right? Because at the end of the day, you're going to get hit by something you were not expecting. Yes, it'll decrease your risk of stuff you don't need to have, but you're going to get hit by something you weren't expecting and you need that muscle mass. You need that nutritional uh, base in your body. You need all of these that you need the cardio to, to deal with being, you know, maybe immobile for a, for a period of time. And so, and so these things that we do to prepare for having a better life also help us prepare for a major medical incident, right? And that's, that's kind of the way I think about business as well. If we think that the world is getting more volatile, uh, this is a real issue because most of the uh, our lives, our professional lives since the 1980s, we've been focusing on modularizing businesses, looking inside, figuring out, you know, how we can how we can break things into small enough parts that we can measure them and optimize them. And none of that really matters when the when there's a massive external change. Right. What matters is your ability to uh, not optimize the system, but have buffers in the right place so that you can respond. So you have enough time to respond. Right. And the medical system, I'm not blaming the medical system for 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 COVID at all. Right. But we had to shut down the economy effectively for a period of time so that we could build that buffer in because we hadn't built it in before. You know, a major respiratory pandemic was a completely knowable event. Right. We we didn't know when it was going to happen. But we, what we did know, if we were going to be honest about it, was, you know, we were having what looked like 100 year pandemics occur far more often. We were just getting better at containing them. You know, the problem with that, like when you think about it, the problem with that is, you know, you know, no matter how high you build your dike, no matter how strong you build your dam, Mother Nature will always, always win. And so the question that we need to be asking isn't like, how do we protect ourselves from other nature? How do we protect ourselves from the future? It's how do we respond when it occurs, right? How do we make sure that we're ready to take advantage of that moment when it occurs? Um, in business, I think we've made a huge mistake in focusing on quarterly revenue, quarterly performance. It's incredibly important, but the one thing that investors care about, uh, the one thing that your board of trustees cares about is, are you a better business? Are you a better organization? Are you delivering better service five years from now than you are today? Are you more valuable over time than you are today? Like any quarterly profit is, is, is an irrelevant uh, amount of money, right? What, what's really relevant is, can you sustain over the longer term? And what we're seeing in our businesses, because of all of the things we just talked about, this this internal focus in our organizations, this shrinking of buffers, this decreased ability to respond to radical change in the world of increasing radical change, the result is that the lifespan of firms is shrinking, right? Our investments are getting crappier because we're making short-term performance gains. You know, it's, sure, it's, it's, sure. like, it's like doing steroids so you can be a bigger bodybuilder. Right. Like, yeah, that's true. There's all these other long term health impacts you might want to consider if you do that. Well, it is part of your work. I know, you know, we, we can look back 
in hindsight and we can say, oh, yeah, these are the things that these are the little small waves and the and the volatility that that created these big, huge roadways. But is part of your work looking forward and seeing the signs of the time and saying, OK, here's what we have going on. We need to start getting ready. Uh, I Absolutely. I think there are two two things to think about here. We did about $15 million of research about what you can and cannot know uh, about the, the 2020s. Um, so we've identified what we think are the 10 major highly trackable trends uh, that will overlap. And no matter what the seed event is, you know, uh, will overlap to to create massive change, just like you know, just like any comorbidity, right? Like it doesn't really matter what the initial event is. It's all of the stuff that stacks up. And then what happens when that occurs? And we look at it from the frame of uh, different types of risks that organizations face. And I think these map, I'm going to try and do it on the cuff. I think they map relatively well to healthcare uh, as well. And we talk about uh, finances, you know, financial risk, maybe an asset loss. We talk about operational risk, right? Maybe your supply chain janks up. Uh, we talk about external risk, right? Maybe there's uh, maybe there's a war, maybe there's a natural disaster, maybe maybe there's a pandemic, um, and then we talk about strategic risk, right? What happens if your demand forecasts are off? And these totally track certainly to to hospital operations and healthcare operations. Uh, they're the same issues we have, and and so I think. Um, in, in all businesses. And so I think the question isn't just, you know, can you predict the next rogue wave, right? It's a rogue wave. They pop up out of nowhere. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you predict the impact of that rogue wave? Absolutely, right? What would happen if we got hit by a pandemic? You know, did you do that strategic planning in your organization in advance of this? I, I, that's not, I'm just, I'm just curious, right? Um, yeah, no. <laughs> So, so that level of pressure testing, I think, is, is really important, uh, not because you're necessarily going to do anything about it in advance, but because you can have a back of pocket plan. So when you take a look at a company like Amazon, they didn't uh, identify pandemics. They certainly didn't have like a COVID playbook coming into this, you know, coming into to COVID. Um, and they obviously they were maybe the best positioned company on in the United States, you know, for this. But what's interesting to me is over a 90 day period, they absorbed 10 years of growth in the retail business, 10 years of growth. And so my question is for any organization, right? It's the, the, if I, if I brought out my fairy wand and I waved it over you and I said, you have the best people, you have infinite money, you have all the technology. Could you absorb 10 years of growth in 90 days? Right. The issue here is that's a mindset shift. It's not a technology shift. It's not a money issue. My friend's family farm uh, in Ohio, they got hit by by COVID hard. They serviced 800 of the top thousand restaurants in the world and direct ship to them. Uh, in March, April of last year, every single one of their clients closed small family farm they weren't highly capitalized like this should kill a business like that in 2020 they shipped more vegetables by weight than they did in 2019 the way they do we've been chatting for several years 
Uh, and they had a back-of-pocket plan, which was they were interested in how do we ship to consumers. They hadn't executed it, right? They hadn't put heavy money into it. But they didn't have to figure out what to do when they capsized. Right? Mm. Have that 90-day, like, oh, my God, what do I do problem. They were just able to execute. So coming out of COVID or coming into whatever's next, uh, let's think about where they are. They've they've now you know doubled the volume of production in in their in their uh, or that doubled the volume of customers. Uh, and as all of these restaurants come back, they have a whole new business that they can build back on top of it. And by the way, I'll bet most of their competitors aren't in a really strong capital position, right? I think they've got room to run. This 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 pandemic's been blue ocean for them for a company that should have died. Mm. So, you know, when I think about Rogue Waves, I, I think about a, a band that had a couple of hits back in, in the 2000s. <laughs> but, but you you point out in your book that it, it's really a, it's a collection of smaller waves that leads to a giant wave. And, and you know, I guess COVID and the pandemic is, is really just one of those waves, even though it's a it's a large wave uh, by itself. Uh, healthcare has been hit with a, a lot of other things uh, recently, especially in our area with staffing shortages, which we'd known about for a long time. Nursing staffing shortages and physician staffing shortages are out there. Um, this certainly has exacerbated uh, what we're going through right now. Um, and, you know, other things uh, such as the social unrest uh, that you point out in, in your book, as well as this climate change with, you know, increasing frequency of these hurricanes that, you know, just landed in, in New Orleans. You know, what else can you identify, I guess, within our healthcare landscape that has come together to create this uh, giant crisis right now? I think, you know, when you just take a look at the overlap in your, I think you still have a relatively young population in your area, but in the most of the United States, you have an aging population. Um, You have, uh, you know, I I think we're going to continue to see U.S.-China trade competition, and that's going to accelerate. Um, and that's also likely to accelerate with India. So if you're if you have core materials, if your pharmaceuticals, uh, you know, are coming out of China, are coming out of India, right? You want to be looking at multiple sources of 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 uh, delivery and, and multiple sources of production. Uh, we saw that, you know, certainly with COVID in the early days of COVID. Um, you want to be looking at artificial intelligence, not, you know, people look at artificial intelligence as this like panacea and uh, uh, it's not. Um, uh, it's a way it's it's a series of statistical methods for doing computation. Right. It's it's stuff you could do in your Excel spreadsheet if you had <clears throat> if you had a spare, you know, 10,000 years to do it. Like this is not like new magical stuff. Um what it is good at, though, is figuring out, you know, how do you solve for things that will be true, that have been historically true, that will be true in the future as well, right? If you have, if your time series data, if your historical data, if your priors aren't accurate or aren't relevant to the future event, to the future state, right, they aren't going to actually solve for it, right? If you have a self-driving car and it's never seen a uh, you know, an, an octopus walking across the street, and that's that's what happens in that time. It's not going to know what to do, 
right? And so in a lot of cases, in a lot of situations, you know, they can do things like help improve diagnostics. They can help you figure out where you need to put buffers in your supply chains. They can help you do all sorts of things, but they're not a panacea for, um, for medicine and, and, and for healthcare. They're going to be really important, and I think we got to get a lot smarter about what we can and can't do with computation as we start to can have these continual nursing shortages. If we, as we start to have, you know, ongoing specialist shortages, if we continue with the the, the immigration nonsense in, in the United States, you know, we're going to have we're going to have a lack of of high skill medical workers too, you know, uh, to to replace the the aging population of of workers that that came out of uh, you know, came out of Vietnam, came out of uh, in, in, in training from that and, and, and uh, you know, tra- training from the military in the 1980s. Right. We're, we're going to we're going to not have that core uh, mm-hmm. years from now, 10 years from now. If we don't have a play- way to replace it, we have a real problem. And we've got to look at how do we use things like software? How do we use things like smarter diagnostic tools uh, to do that? We've got to be really honest, though, about how quickly those can come online, how quickly we can onboard them. You know, on so many medical systems, you know, I look at uh, the number of, you know, uh, prototype projects that they, they get started, you know, and these startup companies, they're like, woohoo, we finally got, uh, you know, Baptist, you know, in, 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 on, in on, our, on our trial. Uh, and then it goes nowhere because it doesn't scale big enough within your system. And so, you know, we've got to think about, okay, well, how do we do, how do we allow this innovation to happen in a more effective way, to happen in a faster way, to scale into our organizations in a faster way. And and, and that's a real problem, I think. Um, you know, for, yeah, for, I mean, and we have to look at the whole way that we deliver our healthcare. I yeah. mean, 10 years ago, the idea of a of a telemedicine visit was just yeah people are people may be doing that but that's just that's yeah. just kind of way out there kind of stuff but now you've got the capability of telemedicine i don't even jake what's what's the latest generation called are they generation z or generation <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know but but you know they the way they they want things here and now you know they they don't want to wait for an appointment they want to be able to call up make an appointment get online see a doctor get a prescription or whatever you know it it's just it's just really i mean I, i'm not a dinosaur but it's just you know it's just hard to 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 move in that direction but we have to if if we're going to keep up with the times if if non-invasive glucometry ever happens for real um, you know, you kind of look at the Apple Watch and that thing's I you, you're, you're the physicians, but I think as far as I can tell, it's effectively giving me a physical every second. Um, you know, what is yeah. that like? Can we can we accelerate that technology and, and shift the way we use GPs, you know, to to uh, provide higher value work or or to spend more time on diagnosis or spend more time on working with patients to um you know to to find solutions to their you know more more integrated holistic solutions to their uh health issues yeah because so much of what the the challenge in medicine as you know is that it's reactive right we 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 wait until we have a heart attack to figure out that we should stop eating so much cheese right (laughs) exactly um, you know, and, and can we 
are there ways that we can we can work with this new technology to uh, to improve human nature? Uh, we talk about in the book we talk about uh, this idea that we're moving beyond human. Uh, I was working I was uh, hanging out yesterday with a bioengineer who's putting implantable devices into people to improve uh, disease diagnostics to do to start doing predictive diagnostics and it's like that that's if that scales I think it completely changes the nature of medicine and, and we've got to get there faster because you know as you know the administration cost on medicine is you know through the roof and if you if you project out the percentage of GDP um, you know like the, the big rogue wave is that Congress is going to stop paying for this I mean <laughs> like that is the most knowable thing like you cannot be putting you know 25 30 percent of gdp into healthcare. so we've got to figure out how to how to improve service while cost constraining and and specifically on on the administration side and and figuring out how to do it uh on on the therapeutic side so so part of your book uh, is talking about how companies can um, change so that they can better react to rogue waves and, and and to use your term, I guess, flip their kayak faster than their competitor. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about what we can do? So I, I think the first thing is, you know, y'all have had the best year to, to think about this in uh, maybe of any any uh, profession in, in, in recent times, right? I just kind of think about, you know, going into March of last year, uh, like oh my god <laughs> you know my my, my uh mother-in-law passed away um she was in her 80s but in she was in relatively advanced care in a nursing home and uh she was you know she she caught covid last april and it, it was like an inevitability like something something was going to happen it was the flu or it was covid and it was you know a question of of which which month probably not which year um but I looked at how reactive the facility was to what was a highly knowable event, right? That we have a respiratory disease in this facility and we don't, you know, like, why was there not a plan in place for dealing with this? Like we saw, we saw, you know, a couple of these things come up, you know, in this century, in the last 20 years, and they fortunately got contained. But we knew that was going to not, we knew that this that there was going to be spillover, right? This was something was going to happen, and it was likely going to happen out of central China. Um, so why why weren't we ready? Um, why and and why did we not have the tools to ramp up a supply chain for something that was so obvious? Right? It wasn't that COVID was obvious, but a new respiratory disease and the education that would be needed for that, and and so on and so forth. The, those were highly knowable events. So how can a business, I guess, prepare internally to react to um, a, a pandemic like this or any other rogue wave that may come out there? Yeah. So I, I think it's, you know, looking in the book, we talk about these 10 major trends, right? The social trends, economic trends, technological trends. One really good game to play is to take take a look at what we were talking about, sort of what I call the four foes of growth, the financial risks, operational risks, external risks, and strategic risks, and say, okay, well, if some combination of these, these 10 
trends overlap at some time that's inconvenient to us in the next five years. How will they impact our finances? How will they impact our ops? So on and so forth. You know, that's a really easy way to start gaming out uh, the situation, start gaming out the system. And uh, chapters, uh, chapter five of the book, we talk a lot about scenario planning and how to really do it effectively. Um, and that's a that's a great tool for starting to think about that in, in more depth. Um, you know, when you th take a look at healthcare specifically, I mean, there are just so many knowable issues in front of us, and I see, uh, I see a desire to put band-aids on on things, and and eventually you end up with, you know, a solution that's made up of band-aids when you need a cast. Sure, and I get. <clears throat> I so guess we, need, we just have we need we, to think about what does that look like? How do we get ahead of that? How do we do it in a way that's cost effective because we we managed it over time as opposed to you know responding to it retroactively and and hoping hoping we can find funds to do it. Yeah, we just we we have to be continually looking looking forward, uh, you know, being visionaries and and not not being negative people, but just facing reality saying, you know, things are going to happen. Let's, you know, let's, would you, would you say you need to be creative about what could happen in the, in, in the future? I mean, you know, what, what about this? Have you, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Absolutely. And I think, you know, within the book, we, a lot of the book is about different, there, there are five basic toolkits for looking at the future. And within, uh, within your establishment, you have all five of them. Uh, there's kind of the scientific method, right? Like how do, how, and, 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 and what, what doctors, uh, a, a lot of, a lot of, uh, maybe more nurses learn, right? Like, how do you how do you do deductive thinking to figure out what's going on? How do you do inductive thinking or, you know, kind of scientific thinking with the information we have? What's the most likely thing? Uh, how do we do abductive thinking, right? Like, assuming uh, that some of the facts that we have are wrong or some fact that we need has not yet come to light, you know, how would that change our opinion of what's going on right now? And then, uh, you know, looking at Bayesian reasoning. So how do you look at, how do you stack up probabilities and, and use modern statistical methods um, to start figure out, figuring out um, uh, what the range of possibilities are? Uh, and, and if something changed, if there was some up, upstream supply chain issue or, or some other thing, right, what would the, what would the, the downstream effects of that be? Or if there was some shift in demand, say suddenly you're at 110% on your hospital beds, you know, where would you need buffers in your system so that you could start to start to to manage that? Um, so that that's those are two of the methods, kind of like um, reality testing, really understanding what's there, observing systems more effectively using Bayesian reasoning to do that. Uh, generating the range of possible futures, right? So in almost any organization, you come up with your strategic plan and we're going to do 6% better next year and 6% better the year after that. I don't know if you remember those. Um, my friend Rita McGrath did a study of 7,000 companies over 10 years. Uh, how many do you think uh, consistently hit their performance goals? Very few. 10. 10. 
Yeah, it I think that is very few. Was, it wasn't their fault that they were successful for 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 forty quarters in a row. So the in the reason they weren't successful wasn't necessarily because their plans were bad. It was because they were looking at compound growth when the real issue is compound volatility, right? The, the rogue waves that sit underneath it, right? It doesn't matter if you do six percent compound growth if there's a forty percent drop in the market. It's it's an irrelevant question, right? Um, and so that that's so we talked about um, generating the range of possible futures. Then then how do you uncouple threats from opportunities? How do you look at things like decision trees, right? To say okay, well if we have this range of possible futures, kind of like uh, you know last year uh, AMC theaters and Zoom thought they had good strategies going into 2020, right? But the reality is you can uh, almost go bankrupt, take on a billion dollars, uh, and and have the CEO say we well, still might go bankrupt. That's an AMC year. You, know, you can have that. You can have the Zoom year where you do 26 times growth in the same year, yeah. right? Um, and so the question is, are you ready for both of those, right? How would you respond to both of those? Um, not because you need to have the all the tools in place and 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 spend all of your capital on on things that won't happen, but because you want to have a back of pocket plan when they do, um, that you can that you can adjust. Um, so how do you how do you use decision trees? You know that that rain that scenario planning and then using decision trees back from those scenarios to figure out how you clip off the the branches you really don't want to have happen and, and how you can do things, simple things like timing, sequencing, hedging, you know, to, to without increasing costs radically, increase your resilience uh, and, and likely in, increase the probability of radical success instead of and, and offset radical failure. And then the last is about how do you do experimentation? You know, and the way I think a lot about this is, you know, most companies kind of do one thing better and better and better and better. I think increasingly we want to think about these things like pharma companies do, where they have they run a horse race, right? Where they have a hundred molecules, so that no matter what happens, you know, no matter which ones fall out, they'll have the range of success that they need at the end. Um, and so, how do we build that? How do we get really sm much, much smarter about thinking about innovation and in portfolios? And so those are the those are the toolkits that I would suggest that you build in your organization. We cover them heavily in the book, and um, I think it, as we're talking, this is going to be really really useful for healthcare. Well, well Jonathan, this this is really really interesting. I actually cannot wait to read your book. Um, really excited about reading it. But uh, I got to ask one more question before we bring it to a close <laughs> because, you know, you're looking at the world over the last 18 months, just like we are. But perhaps you're looking at it through a different set of filters than we are. And one of the questions that looms out there, I think, both for companies as well as um, for many of us, is when the pandemic's gone, um, what do things look like? Is everything continued to be on on Zoom and on Microsoft Teams and so on? Or do we go back to the way it was, which I don't I can't see that being the case or, you know, my argument to my wife last night when she asked me was, I think it'll be, it'll be a hybrid. I think it'll be some form of a hybrid. But, you know, when I think of my son working at corporate Walmart, he's completely virtual, you know, mm -hmm. but what, what's your take? Cause there's a lot of people trying to figure that out right now. And I'm sure you've probably reflected and thought on it. 
What is your take? When the pandemic's gone, what's it going to look like? So I think there are two really important things to think about in healthcare. Uh, the first is you have such a strong licensure basis for your industry. It's so regulated. Um, can you take advantage of people who are out of state, of, of practitioners who are out of state, who might be in lower cost areas? How, how do we start to do that? How do we so that we can load balance more effectively? Uh, the second thing to think about is how do you drive innovation and, you know, there's something I would imagine about specialists being in the same room that increases the quality of outcomes. And I'm totally making that up. I don't have any any study that I've read or statistical basis for that. But I would imagine that there's something about the politics of innovation and the politics of, of having new ideas that, that benefits from people being in the same place and time. Uh, and in terms of procedural stuff, process stuff, highly transactional aspects of the business. I'm not sure that those need to be in the same place. Yeah, I don't I don't know that those need to be offline. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. Well, Jonathan, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, I just say a big big thank you. I think uh, having our paradigm shifted and uh, looking at things uh, from a different angle, from a different perspective helps us uh, drive improvement. Uh, you, you look at great companies, um, you know, uh, that have done some really great things. They had to shift their paradigms and how they were looking at things. And, and I think that you've done that for me for sure, not only today, but on a previous podcast, I've listened to you. And I'm really excited about reading Rogue Wave. So on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And certainly please pick up the book. We sure will. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. Take care. Thank you.